Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quicken. Travel. Does anybody remember travel? That pre-pandemic activity? So unfortunately, it's also notoriously an uneco-friendly enterprise, even though we all do it wantingly as well as unwantingly when it comes for work as well. From the carbon footprint of flying to massive amounts of waste generated by tourist hordes, it's a tricky space to facilitate sustainability. But my guest today, Indri Rockefeller, is on a mission to change that. Indri founded Paravel, which provides eco-friendly luggage, bags, and organizers. The brand created the first ever carbon neutral suitcase and has upcycled close to 2 million plastic water bottles to date, an offset of 7.8 million. We're going to round that up to just 8 million pounds of CO2. Through its carbon-neutral shipping program, Paravel has also planted over 20,000 trees through Eden reforestation projects, and it was recently named a 2021 Travel and Leisure Global Vision Award winner. The brand is rooted in a belief that, quote, unquote, growing in sustainability is a continuous journey. Indre, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you so much, and thank you for that generous introduction. Well, the generosity was formed all by you, so thank you for the, <laughs> the fuel for that generosity. So I want to start back to a quote that you had and a trip that you took a few years ago that helped to inspire you when it came to really focusing on building a sustainable and a sustainability type focused company. You went on this polar expedition to Antarctica with the Nature Conservancy. I should add, I don't want people to think of some like bougie trip that you're on. But the <laughs> Nature Conservancy is an amazing organization. What was it about that trip that helped to inspire you to focus on creating a company that's focused specifically on creating sustainable goods and giving back to help protect the environment. Yeah, so I'm glad we're starting there because that really is a lot of the impetus behind taking sustainability from something that we were working on in the background in Paravel, something that was priority number one and two, something that was a work in progress to really taking it to the forefront as being the priority and the singular lens through which we viewed every decision in the company. And that trip was really a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was being on board with climate scientists, marine biologists, glaciologists, and really being able to witness something firsthand in such a pristine environment. It's really unlike any other place I've ever been. I think the closest sort of, I remember saying, I feel like I'm on the moon because there's no visible human footprint. There's just this absolutely exceptional nature that looks really otherworldly. And to get to experience it in sort of such an intimate way, you know, we we got to go on these small boats around and, and sort of really see the ice, see the glaciers, see the wildlife. And, you know, you fall in love with this experience with this place. And then you hear the calving of the glaciers and you're learning about the change in water temperatures and the effect on the marine ecosystem. And it really is one thing to read about it, which I had been for a long time. And it was quite another thing for me personally to experience it. It was almost like a visceral reaction that I had. And I I think another element of that trip that I haven't only more recently have really processed is that I was without cell service. Obviously, there are no cell towers. So for two weeks, 
I was really present in experiencing this. And I wasn't going home and getting on my phone or posting photos or working on work emails. It was really just about going home at the end of the day and absorbing and being able to listen and speak to a lot of the climate scientists that I was on board with. And so it was a unique opportunity to really immerse myself in both the experience and sort of the implications of it. And so at the end of this trip, when I regained cell service, it's sort of, you know, your phone turns on and lights up with a thousand offerings. You know, we've got emails and texts and this and that. And the first thing I did was I called my co-founder, Andy, and I said, you know, we can't have this be something that we're working on quietly in the background. This this has to be something that is the thing that we're working on, the lens through which we're viewing things because it's too important. You know, it's become very clear and it's something that I knew in the abstract, right? This time horizon that we have, this window of time to affect change and to mitigate the effects of climate change, right? And this at the time it was sort of this 10-year window that was being spoken about. And, you know, it just had a visceral reaction that I may not be able to single-handedly solve it. And we as a company may not be able to single-handedly undo the effects of our industry, but we can certainly be part of the conversation and work towards being part of the solution. And let's do that. So let's be open and honest about our journey in this. Let's talk about what we're working on. Let's admit our imperfections instead of sort of waiting for this moment where we get a green check mark and we move on or saying we're perfect and we're ready, we really decided to change the narrative and say, here's our goals, here's what we're working on and come along with us. This is gonna sound totally silly and shallow, but I'll ask it anyway, because I think those are two things I specialize in. <laughs> were you ever scared anytime on this no. trip? Because when, when, when you describe <laughs> like these huge glaciers cracking and melting, or I, I think I would be a little terrified I mean, look, I was born in like yeah. northern New Jersey in like this little suburb. So I'm like, I'm scared in general, but I'm just kind of curious. So the only part that I was legitimately scared during is we went through the Drake Passage, which is notoriously some of the roughest seas in the world. And so we sailed over it and there were up to 25 foot waves. I mean, you sort of have to you know, they sort of tell you when you sleep, kind of tuck your arm under a mattress because you can get thrown out of the bed when you're sailing over these waters. And at first, it was something that was terrifying. I mean, sometimes it felt like you're on a roller coaster or something. But honestly, I loved that portion of it. And it was because you felt so viscerally that you're at the mercy of nature. And how much more powerful and how powerful, you know, this planet well, it's humble, is. It's humbling, right? It reminds you how so tiny you humbling. are. It's yeah. humbling. Yeah. We're these little peons and yet look at what we're doing to this environment around us. And I think that helped to reinforce it. That trip coming and going both ways is sort of this, these bookmarks on this experience. But when you get there, it's still like pristine, still water. So you wake up that first morning in the Antarctica after being pummeled in the waves and it's silent and still. And I think that transition also helps kind of frame this experience. I hope they had at least like instant coffee on board. <laughs> yes, yes. No, we were we were not going hungry. <laughs> but, so you were, but you were on a vessel for two weeks. Like you didn't sleep ever on land. You were mostly 
on. We did not. No, no. There's nowhere to sleep on there's land. To, so you're not like pitching a tent anywhere or anything like that. No, right? no, okay. no. There are people who are much cooler than I am that have hiked and camped in Antarctica, but I'm not that cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're pretty cool. So, so, and how did you get involved in Nature Conservancy? Had you always been involved? Was this, was this a trip that had always been planned? Because we'll have another question after that. No, I had, it hadn't been, it was sort of a last minute opportunity and, and I really admire the organization. I think they do amazing work and I can't imagine experiencing a place like Antarctica now looking back, it was such a special way to experience a place like Antarctica. I bet. So you founded the brand with your co-founder, Andy Krantz, right? In 2016. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Your trip was in 2018. The brand was always founded based on social impact and give back, right? It wasn't that it wasn't. It's just that your trip helped to narrow and really drill down on sustainability as like a core part of the brand's mission and vision, right? Yeah, it really helped bring it to the forefront of the conversation. I think that when we founded it, we were focused on rethinking and reimagining travel. And a lot of that had to do with some of the behavior and some of the waste and some of the sort of misalignment that we were seeing between the travel goods industry and some of the sort of evolving consumer behavior. But I can't say that we launched being as sustainable as we are now, it was on our, it was something we were working on. And I think we were afraid to put it out there. I think a lot of brands that I've, especially now, a lot of people I've spoken to that are going through this process, people are afraid to say, I'm working on sustainability or I've launched a sustainable collection because they're afraid of being called out somewhere else. Well, if you're sustainable there, why are you not sustainable over here? And so they sort of want to wait until this feeling like they think it's good enough or perfect. And that trip, what it did for me and for us as a team is take it from waiting to be able to talk about it until we were just right to saying, actually, this is too important to wait. This is not some check mark you get at the end. This is going to always be a work in progress. We will never be done. So why don't we start talking about it now and talking about our goals and talking about what we want to do here? And that I think really reframed the conversation. And your background prior to founding Paravel was in fashion, yeah? Was in fashion and I was a ballet dancer before that. So I sort of have been a few different, <laughs> few different creative fields, but I was a professional ballet dancer for a number of years and then went to the fashion industry. I just had to ask, so, you know, my youngest, my daughter dances, and I think that it has been nothing short of transformative for her in every human aspect of growing up. And I've seen you quoted talking about the discipline, the focus, the ability to work through things you know, to constantly refine techniques, to not give up. I think they're just, it's so analogous to being in a startup and life and getting through stuff. And can you just talk a little bit about that? I mean, I'm also a huge fan of anyone who uses their body or sports or athleticism as a way or as the beginning of being grounded to be able to then give them permission and confidence to do other things in life. I'm always fascinated right. by that. Yeah, I think it's the best training for me that I could have had. And I 
often look back at this very circuitous path that I have through different things I've worked on and thought I was sort of bouncing around all over the place. But in fact, it all has worked together and really helped inform a lot of work that I do as an entrepreneur. It is the hardest job I've had. I imagine it is the case for a lot of entrepreneurs. And the yes, it's discipline. Yes, it's stamina. But it's also this feeling that you're never done. You are never perfect. You never feel the sense of, okay, I have a sense of completion because there's always something else on the horizon. And sometimes it's something big, but sometimes it's literally about putting out fires that are unexpected, that are distracting. But that ability to stay focused on the big goal is always a challenge, but also something that I think my ballet career helped because I always like to use the analogy of even as a professional dancer, even if you're at the top of your field, you come and you start every single day with a ballet class. And I just, I love that sense because you are a student of your own art form and you're never done taking class and you are always working on your technique. It doesn't matter if you got a, you know, standing ovation at the Met last night, you're going to come back the next morning and you're going to take class with everyone else. And it's a humbling profession and it is a profession that requires a lot of dedication, but it is this feeling of I'm always a student of my own craft. And I think that's the same with being an entrepreneur. I'm a student of my own business every day. I'm a student of sustainability. And I think that that allowed me, going back to our conversation around being open about our journey, it allowed me to be okay with that and say, I'm a student of this along with everyone else. And I don't have to know everything or be a climate scientist in order to have a sustainable brand or work towards becoming a sustainable brand. I'm going to self-educate. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to ask for help. And I'm going to figure this out as I go. And that's okay because I'm a student of my business. What was that moment like, though, when you decided, you know what, this ballet thing was great for a certain period of time, but I'd like to be able to move on to other things? Because you started off in media, right? Didn't you work for Vogue at first? I worked or? for Vogue after after ballet. So yeah, I that's had, what I meant. What, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I had a herniated disc in my back that ended up ending my career, at least putting an earlier stop to it. It was something, it was a injury that was surmountable, but had become an increasing challenge. Sort of one of those things where it's like every six months I'm out, then every three months, then every two months, you know, something I'm in constantly in physical therapy and it- Yeah. And back pain is awful. Back pain, there's nothing worse. Yeah. And it's so central to your success as a dancer. And so it had become something that was really getting in the way of my being able to enjoy my work because I was in a lot of pain. And so I ended up leaving because of that. But it's something that is, it was my first love. It was my first job. It was my first passion. So I think it's its sort of still something that I, I have will always be a part of who I am. And how did you meet your co-founder? How did that all happen? So we worked together at a fashion brand. So we met in the fashion industry and we had left around the same time and were I think both always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I just remember 
you know, he was the type of person that we were always comparing notes on and, you know, oh, where do you get, you know, what are your travel hacks? How do you pack for this trip? Do you roll or do you fold? Do you use packing cubes? You know, we would compare notes from, you know, flea markets that we had found duffel bags in and shared a love of, of travel and eventually realized that not only were our passions overlapping, but our skill sets were sort of a perfect Venn diagram, so to speak. So really uh, worked together well. And that relationship with a co-founder is just so critical, I think, to at least how much you enjoy your job, that, that become symbiotic relationship is, is really critical. And had either of you had any experience in the travel industry besides being travelers yourself? No, we had worked in the fashion industry and in design in e-commerce, in media, in finance. So, you know, really we were bringing to the table all the other elements that I think the travel industry was missing. So I think that it's to our advantage that we hadn't worked in the travel industry. And I see that with other industries too. Sometimes when you're coming from that industry it's harder to shake things up and think outside the box because that's how things are done. And this is how, you know, this is the relationship with the consumer. And we really wanted to bring a lot of the lessons we had learned in storytelling and in product design and in brand building, but also in running a sound business, you know, as a startup, you know, from other experiences to this space, because we felt like there was a real opportunity in a white space. And what was your first product that you brought to market? So unlike most direct-to-consumer brands at the time, we launched with a suite of products. We had 10 styles. And I remember at the time, you know, we were fundraising and talking to investors and everyone kept saying, well, the playbook is you launch with one product and then you market it and you market it and you raise a lot of money and you market some more and then you're able to launch more. And we just said, you know, that's not intuitive to us because as we want to build a system for travel. So we believe that in the travel industry, it's been so isolated to these goods, call it a suitcase or, you know, that gets you from point A to point B, but it creates this unemotional experience. It becomes a utilitarian piece. And we really wanted to build more of a lifestyle that wasn't tied to the luggage carousel or your storage unit where you experience it on an occasional use case basis, but really something that would live with you in your day-to-day -day life too. So in fact, we didn't even launch with the wheeled luggage at all. And we were also told we were crazy. You know, you're a travel brand. How can you not be launching with wheeled luggage? And our point was, we want to redefine travel. We, For us, travel is not just the airport experience. It is a state of mind. It is being curious about the world around you. And that can be exploring Central Park if you're a New Yorker or going to try a new restaurant or you know, being an explorer in your backyard. It can be a weekend trip. Really, it's about being curious. And so we wanted things that would travel with people and be companions in their everyday experiences. And that could also be people's commute to work. It could be a wedding. It could be a long weekend. It could be a work trip. And so we also wanted to earn our community's trust around wheeled luggage. We knew that that piece is a workhorse and it requires, you know, you want to know that the, the zippers and the wheels will stand up to the wear and tear. But in order to do that, we wanted to build a trust around quality, a trust around design, 
and add that element in so that by the time people were adding wheeled luggage into their system, that they were familiar with the Paravel lifestyle in a way, and that it wasn't just tied to the airport experience. So you were kind of warming them up with other products. And it's even hard, I think, with wheeled luggage. And I think you introduced the world's first carbon neutral suitcase. But I also feel like maybe this is just me because I'm lazy, but I don't often think about, hmm, you know, what I'd really like to do, I'd really like to, you know, change my mattress and change my suitcase. Yet, you know, yet there's benefit to doing both, right? And I did a lot of marketing in the mattress industry and like, you know, I now know you should be changing your mattress every five years and there's lots of options there. So it's hard to convince people, hey, you know, that suitcase is perfectly fine. And then at the same time, you're selling a carbon neutral suitcase. What happens to the old one? Does that go into a landfill or does that get repurposed? So there's all sorts of questions around that too. It's, it's, it's very tricky marketing and language. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, for us, this idea that travel, we don't want to push the idea that you need to swap everything out. It needs to be the trendiest and the latest. I think that a lot of, you see that somewhat in the fashion industry, right? This life cycle of seasonality and trends. And we really wanted to create a timeless look that would last for a really long time and have really high quality so that it's not something that is the latest trend or a hot color or a print or something that you need to have, but really about timeless pieces that can work for years to come for anyone in the family. Yeah. Years ago, I took a business trip with my former business partner and he had just bought one of those away suitcases. And he was so annoying because he wanted a board first because he didn't want anybody to be around his away suitcase because he didn't want it to get scratched. I'm like, all right. that like Because he, he was looking at it like a piece of art as opposed to functional. And for him, it was more like a, a badge that he had that he was one of the first to have it. And it sounds like what you guys are trying to do is it should be aesthetically appealing, but it also needs to be functional and sensible and something you're proud of, but in a different way, not because it's the latest, greatest thing, right? Yeah, I, I think that idea of being proud to carry it is really important to us because it's more than just the design. It's really about what it stands for in terms of conscious consumerism. And I can't have this conversation without talking about COVID. You're in the travel industry. Everybody got shut down. What was it like and what happened? Take me back to March 2020. Just, <laughs> just side note, I know I don't want to like create PTSD moments for any of us, but have you watched? So Mark Wahlberg on HBO Max has this it's this weird, my wife and I came across it accidentally. It's this weird kind of limited series called Wall Street, but it's like W-A-H-L Street. It's crazy. It's only 20 minute episodes. It's like popcorn. But basically it takes you into Mark Wahlberg's other life outside of acting and directing and being a personality. He's also has interests in lots of different businesses. So this guy, Mark Wahlberg, basically right before COVID hit is like about to launch like an apparel brand called Municipal Wahlburgers, which is like a like a fast food kind of burger joint. And the worst part is he's trying to own and buy all these franchises for like this new, I think it's called F45, this like in gym experience. It's like, you know, type. Yeah. It's like the three worst things. But what's so interesting is that I know like when they started filming it, nobody knew that COVID was going to hit and it filmed all the way through the pandemic and all the decisions he had to make. And 
it makes me think about you. And I launched a company in the middle of the pandemic as well. And I also had to pivot in my old company I'm now chairman of. It's a professional services firm in PR and marketing. And we went through hell and back. It was awful, awful. And I, I actually, it was the only time in my life where I literally had like real deep doubts existentially about the existence of not just humanity, but also just the businesses that I've worked so hard to build, you know? So it's a long way of me asking, take me through that journey and what happened. What was the first thing you did and how did you survive it? So, you know, I'll start by saying that we were really lucky, you know, both personally and professionally, there were so many people that were so deeply hurt and so many people who lost businesses and livelihoods and, you know, people. And so I, I really do feel very fortunate that we were able to weather this experience in a way that reinforced a lot of what we stand for. And I think we're coming out of it. I know we're coming out of it stronger than we ever have. And I think that part of the reason we were able to, you know, the, the whole the whole sector was pummeled and a lot of the travel goods space, you know, a lot of these companies were down a massive amount, 70, 80%. And we were able to grow. And I think that that really came down to the strength of our value system at a time and our product assortment. I think it's both of those things. So I think the value system, because the increased interest in sustainable goods that we've seen over the last year and a half is astounding and inspiring. I really think that this conversation has bubbled to the top and it is something that is on so many consumers' minds. And so I really think we were there to offer conscious product. And then when it comes to our product assortment, because we weren't so highly leveraged to the airport experience, sort of what we were talking about earlier, we were able to meet our customer where they were. And that was, you know, doing grocery runs with our tote bags, doing errands, you know, with our backpacks and belt bags and just even taking our packing cubes. And we saw so many people were reorganizing closets and drawers and using it as home organization items. And I just have to ask, just, what is a packing yeah. cube? I know people are going to okay. want to know what a packing cube is. Yes, this is this is the thing that I can't pack without. So there are these cubes that we, we sell. We sell both compression versions and, and regular versions where you basically organize the interior of a suitcase and it sort of, it compresses it and you have a little view window and there are these very lightweight nylon cubes. They're made out of post-consumer recycled plastic water bottles. In our case, it's called negative nylon and they're super lightweight and you can pack by item. So you can put your sweaters in one, your socks in another, or by, you know, event. If you're traveling for a wedding, you can do your Saturday night here, your Friday night there. And they essentially serve as like portable drawers. So when you arrive at your hotel or wherever you're staying, instead of doing that luggage dump where you open up your luggage and dump everything out, you just have everything in cubes and you just take the cubes out and put them in your drawers. And so it compresses, it organizes, it's visually satisfying. And it's something that makes me look like a much more organized traveler than I actually am. That is so appealing to my OCD nature. I mean, I, yes. well, I used to travel a shit ton before COVID. And I actually had my first work trip a couple of weeks ago. It was just to DC. And that was actually my last work trip too, 13, 14 months ago. 
And I can't tell you how happy I was, how elated I was just from a mood standpoint, just to have human interaction that isn't, I mean, I love my family, but you know, like someone said the other day, marriage is not supposed to be 24 hours. Actually, I heard that on, I heard that on Smartless. Ever listen to the Smartless podcast? <laughs> that sounds like I should. I'm going to plug Smartless, okay? It's okay. it is Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Oh, my husband listen my husband's obsessed yes. with this podcast. Okay. Yes, and Sean Hayes. Yep. And I really think it's kind okay. of a podcast that's focused on dudes because if you listen to like the the advertisers is like manscaped and stuff like that. But my wife listens to it obsessively, but they are the funniest I've ever heard, but they're saying how like marriage is not supposed to be 24 hours, you know? Anyway, so it was nice to get away. And I I have like mastered pack, I thought I'd mastered packing bags because I do like two, three nights, sometimes, you know, a week in London or whatever. But these also sound like great gifts. These are great gifts to yes, give. Yes, right? they're, and they're fantastic gifts. And that's another thing that we saw through all of these moments where we had, you know, we were experiencing, people were experiencing postponed weddings, you know, virtual graduations, all these life moments for people that they wanted to send a gift. We, we also were sort of met our customers there too. And we saw a lot of gift giving and we do a lot of like personalization. So people were personalizing for different milestones in people's lives that they weren't able to be there in person. So we were very fortunate, all that to say, around COVID. And and there were certainly very frightening moments. I'm not going to pretend like it was smooth sailing. But all in all, I can't help but be grateful and know that for Andy and I, and also for our team, I think it reinforced what we've been working on and sort of gave us the confidence that we're moving in the right direction because people stuck with us during such a challenging time. And you guys are based in New York? We are. Okay. But I imagine that you ship around the world or is it primarily in the States? The U.S. is, I mean, it's primarily in the U.S., but we do ship internationally. We have some international uh, wholesale partners as well. Yeah. Because I imagine, I mean, the U.S. is a big market, obviously, but the world really is your market. I know when things get yeah. back to normal, I'm sure that's a that's part of the plan. World domination is the part of the plan. So yeah. just one last thing before I forget, because I think it's it's really important. So currently you you just sell online, right? Or mostly sell online? We only sell online. Yeah. We have for Paravel, our website is our is our flagship store. Your main storefront. Do you feel like at some I there's just been this incredible trend of, I mean, look at Warby Parker and I had them on very successful online. And then they're like, you know, we have an idea. Let's do the reverse and let's go, you know, to retail. And sometimes it works really, really well for them. It has. And other times it hasn't worked so well with other brands. Do you ever envision a world where either you might have like a section inside of a large retailer, like a Bloomingdale's or a Nordstrom or something, or you actually have your own retail location, or is that, and Bowl and Branch is another example of that, or is that something that's not really top of mind right now? Yeah, so we have had sort of physical placements before with pop other stores or as part of pop-ups, pop -ups, exactly. Yeah. And nothing's off the table. I think that physical retail is such a nice way to be able to connect with the consumer. Anytime I've ever been able to be a part of being in person and speaking to a potential customer about our product, it is so interesting. I just love that information because the questions that they ask, the reason they 
buy or don't buy or the product that they're asking for or a color they're asking for really informs in a way that is much harder to get through a digital experience. You know, of course we have a customer care team and we get all the feedback, but it's there's nothing quite like standing with someone who's holding your product and asking you questions. So I love that part of it. So I think that this fusion of online and offline, I think will continue to be blurred as we move forward, but how exactly that looks is yet to be determined. I don't think it has to be a physical standalone, you know, long-term store. There's a lot of ways to bring that physical experience to life in sort of less permanent ways in the interim too. Yeah. I'm with you though. I mean, look, I'm a huge fan of e-commerce and digital experiences, but I do like the the physical experience as well. I mean, but I'm also the same guy who like likes to read the paper, the physical Sunday paper and go through it and tear through it, you know, because I just like that tactile feel. And there's still a lot of people out there. And I do think that there's going to be like this kind of like retail rage that's going to happen. You're already starting to see it happen now, but it's online and offline. So I think it's smart to be able to mix it too and do pop-ups. And there's so many collaborations now. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to see more of those with Paravel and other kind of like-minded partners. And that's the other trick, right? As a as a company that is so focused on a very admirable mission and sustainability, you have to only associate with partners who share that same vision because you don't want them to dilute who you are just because it's a great marketing opportunity. Yeah, it's true. And on the other hand, they're also we've had partners come to us who are looking to learn and grow in sustainability by partnering with us. And that's been nice too, because it's not just being able to bring someone sort of across that threshold to the extent that we can and we know and we can share our know-how and our production capabilities and our sourcing is really fun too. So it can spur change in other companies as well. I feel like there's a master class in you and Andy's future now. (laughs) How to build a, a brand around sustainability. So listen, Indri, it's so great to have you on the show and hear the story from start to not even finish because you guys are only barely five years old, but I've done so much and I can't wait to buy these. What are they called? What cubes? Packing cubes. We'll Packing get you cubes. Some. See, I already forgot. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I can't wait to gift them as well one day. So thank you again for coming on the show. And I wish you all the best. And hopefully travel is going to be back as well as all associated type of activities with travel. So here's to that. Cheers. (laughs) This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quitkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.